0: People. swizz here, Dan there, Thursday, June 16th. You could tell I'm in one of my moods, and I absolutely am in one of my moods. So if you're playing at home, this is to be playing your MKT call bingo. Uh, <laughs> in just a few minutes, by the way, we will have, in fact, EY from SoFi, who found herself at Shea Stadium last night watching her Milwaukee Brewers annihilate the Mets, which is a good thing. Today's episode brought to you by FactSet. Financial data, Dan, and analytics powered by tomorrow. The aforementioned SoFi, Get Your Money Right, all in one app. And of course, Dan, we are powered by Open Exchange. You can check them out on the Twitter, at OpenExchangeTV. There's a lot happened since the last market call yesterday. Obviously, we finished at about 138. We clearly then had this Fed thing happen. You had the subsequent market rally And now we're seeing sort of the aftermath, and it's really interesting price action. And before we get started, I will say the following, Dan. For the last few months, I've said the only panic I have seen has been to the upside. The only panic I've seen has been panic buying. Well, today, Dan, I would submit that the panic we're seeing on its downside, the selling
1: market is, in fact, panic. Back to you. Yeah, I I think the point you're also making is that, you know, the sell-offs in the equity markets have been fairly orderly. They've happened Mm -hmm. in the pockets where you would have expected them to. We've been detailing on market call, I guess, for, you know, over a year now, how like little mini bubbles, valuation bubbles have been popping. And we've seen it from crypto to meme stocks to SPACs to, you know, unprofitable tech IPOs, that sort of thing. And so ultimately for us, it's like, when does this thing start to get real? It's when the biggest components in the market, You know, is a half a dozen stocks that make up, you know, 45% of the NASDAQ 100, 25% of the S&P 500 by weight when they join the party. Well, they've started to do that. Now, the problem that, you know, you and I have been going back and forth from and, you know, Liz has been really great on this, too, is that, you know, sometimes the market is kind of signaling what the economy might do. We like to kind of separate those two things all the time because I think a lot of casual market participants think they're kind of one in the same. Right. And so, you know, we've been seeing it when the banks topped out in Q4 of last year, right? And never kept pace with the broad market and started to kind of really underperform. You know, those were things that were really important. You've been pointing out the outperformance in energy for the last six to nine months has actually been fairly troubling, right? When you think about some of the inflationary pressure. So again, you know, the price action yesterday, you hopped off before we were done with market call. Guy, the last thing I said, and you and I have been doing this a long time, Oftentimes, that knee-jerk move after the Fed statement, you know, whatever they do, whether they rip them and close them on the high or they kill them and they close them on the low is reversed the next day. And my very specific experience with this is that algos take over when the news comes out into a close, right? But then when cooler heads prevail and people are able to make qualitative judgments about what was said or what was not said, that's the thing that turned it. That's what turned this market here today. I don't think we recover, you know, I think there's going to be a little more follow through here, Guy, because I think that I don't think the people, you know, they don't trust what the Fed said in that meeting yesterday.
0: Nor should they. And I will say this in terms of the aforementioned EY from SoFi. I will say I think she was the first person I heard say we have now transitioned from this, you know, buy every sell off market to now sell every rally market. And that was late fall Early this year, and she's been spot on. That she's spot on with a lot of things, by the way. And it's very hard to sit in the seat that she occupies and say things like that, because historically those people were typically perma bulls. You know, I don't like to be perma anything. I like to be. You know, I like to be Perma perma Yankee fan, Perma yeah. Ranger fan. I like to try to be a Perma good
1: person. <laughs> After that, it sort of uh, falls precipitously, Dan Nathan. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, let's hit some of those things. I mean, again, what I think the, the investors did not, when they had time to kind of parse through some of Fed Chair Powell's answers during the presser, is that you know their credibility on being able to say, hey, listen, the economy's in an OK situation, but we're going to do all this other stuff, I think you would agree with me, is not particularly high. And so when I was seeing a lot of those headlines come out, I said, I I don't know why the hell anybody would believe what they have mm-hmm. to say they can't have things fall apart they need to be deliberate in the way in which they're going to battle inflation but the idea of orchestrating a soft landing i think today's price action in the stock market is telling you good luck with that all right let's talk about a couple of these things here amanda put a splash of some headlines here i think mm-hmm. this one is really interesting out of bloomberg jp morgan strategists say stocks imply 85 percent chance of recession now here's the thing they're not saying there's an 85 percent chance of a US recession, they're saying that the valuations, where they are right now, are implying uh, you know th- that there's an 85 percent chance of it. Now, you and I have been talking about this. We're saying that the prices come down in equities or a lot of different risk assets, but the earnings expectations, specifically in stocks, have not come down. So that's the thing. If we have you know earnings ratcheted down for the balance of this year, at some point then, right, we are likely to be in a recession. In my opinion, I think we could be in run right now. Then the question is, what are you willing to pay for stocks' future earnings after coming out of a difficult period in recession?
0: Well, I mean, again, and I'm totally with you on, on all of this stuff. So a couple of things. One has to wonder, what does this Federal Reserve now see in terms of inflation? And the fact that very subtly they talked about headline inflation being something they're looking, which they've historically never done. It's always core, some bullshit thing. <laughs> now they're talking about headlines. So You know, that 8.5% or whatever the number is, one has to wonder what the real number, and I've said it before, I'll say it right here. Real inflation in this country, if you really measured it the way we did decades ago, is probably closer to 17.5%, 18%. And I think they've come to that realization, and that's why they spoke the way they spoke yesterday. And the way that he closed it, Chair Powell, talking to millennials about buying a home, and now I'm paraphrasing, you know, you might want to put that off. I mean, that was a staggering comment and clearly a Fed focused on trying to really knock down asset prices, something we haven't seen in quite some time. And now this about recessions, and again, I say it all the time, I'll say it again for those that haven't heard it. I'm not neither humorless enough nor smart enough to be an economist. I don't pretend to be one. And quite frankly, I don't know what changes if we are now physically or statistically in a recession. I don't know. What magically changes? Like if all of a sudden well, spinning patterns change, and all those it things does. it doesn't I really, mean because, quite frankly, we're probably we may be in one now. Right? Again, but- I don't know for what we do. What changes particularly in
1: terms of the landscape? I think it's the psychology. I think it's the psychology Agreed. by management. I mean, I, and I do think that's really important. And I think it's also one of the reasons why you have these perma-bull strategies at these big banks that offer tons of different services as it relates to investment banking and the like with companies. They want to keep, you know, the sea level sweet. at least they want to keep the psyche intact. And I, I don't mean to make it sound like that is some kind of big plan in general, but, you know, that is part of it. And then when it comes to consumers, you know, two thirds of our GDP is driven by consumers. When they start seeing those sorts of headlines, and they have the sort of inflationary pressures that they have, and I also believe that you're going to see unemployment tick up this mm-hmm. summer in a meaningful way. What does that mean? A few tenths of a percent that can do some damage. David Rosenberg has been documenting that. All right, guy, let's hit the S and P 500 really quickly. Yeah, here. let's we take have-
0: a look. And so quickly, yeah. I'm totally with you. And put that chart up because it's important. But I'll yeah. say this, and this is something I know I've said since last summer. For 35, 40 million people in this country, forget about recession. I mean, since last summer, these people have been living in a depression. Nobody seems to want to talk about it. And I think for a lot of people, you sort of double that number in terms of the recessionary pressures they've all felt for a while. What they're saying is what Bruce Willis said in Die Hard. Welcome to the party, pal, because we've been here for a long time. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Let's take a look at the S&P 500 chart because I think we've done a decent job. Now, I will say this. Yesterday on Fast Money, and I think I spoke to it yesterday on Market Call, I thought we'd actually see a pretty meaningful bounce off of these levels. And obviously, that's not taking place right now. I'm really surprised given how oversold we were going into it and how pessimistic everybody's seemingly gotten overnight. That this market is falling through to the downside. That to me is actually really alarming, but we'll see how it plays out the rest of the day.
1: Yeah, I think it's important to note you know, you talk to a lot of institutional investors, so do I. I talk to a lot of people on the sell side. I mean, what's interesting to me is that most investors that I talk to have been really bearish all year long. What that has not been matched up against is what the sell side infrastructure strategists, economists, analysts, you know, that sort of thing. And I think that's what's really catching up right here. And, you know, that SP 500 chart, again, it's basically take it all. All the way back to January 2021. We've round tripped that move. You see where the 200-day moving average is up there above 4,400. We're a long ways away. We're already through your 3,750 target to the downside. You've been saying for months, once we get there, you think we overshoot to some degree. I think it's interesting to take a look, though, at this chart of the S&P 500. You, know, you and I also think that there's a really good chance it round trips the whole move back towards 3,400. Mm-hmm. That was the pre-pandemic move. So that's one there. There's a yellow line in there. It is not the proper moving average. So to me, I don't even know what that is, but it's not signaling that we're at support yet. So, But maybe that's where we get to 3,400-ish, where investors start to think we have discounted a recession, we have discounted an earnings recession, and maybe we can start thinking about what 2023 looks like. And stocks trading below the 10-year average on a PE basis in the S&P 500 is cheap.
0: Yeah. And now all of a sudden, magically, you have people starting to talk about earnings revisions. I've heard it literally dozens of times over the last 48 hours. And 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 magically, people are sort of coming along to the, some of the notions that we've been talking about for quite some time. And numbers have gone from probably, you know, 235, 240 for earnings for S&P. And I've heard people as low as 200. And to your point, it's about 3,400, that's a pretty easy math, even for somebody of my intellect. You put a 17 multiple on 200, and you magically get that 3,400 level. So, you know, people think we're just pulling these things out of thin air. We're not. And now the math is starting to back us up. Not only that, some of the price action you're seeing is starting to backing up some of the things we've said
1: now for months, Dan. No doubt about it. All right. So you called this rate move. I I did not see it going from two to three in the 10-year the way it did. You did. You've also been saying that now that we're back above that 2018 high, we know when the Fed pivoted there, the stock market had sold off, you know, what, 20% in a straight line after the 10-year got above, you know, 3% for the first time since 2013-14. Well, here we are. And I drew a couple lines here, Guy, because I think that 2% level is really interesting. It was technical support back there in 2019 after of the Fed pivot it was resistance right right up until it broke out early this year mm-hmm. above two. That is the two hundred day moving average. but now that prior high from two thousand and eighteen you know we 're contending with it we 're above it here, and you 've been saying that you think there's a good chance that we could see the ten year yield come in as more reflective of growth slowing here. Let's just kind of explain that a little bit and then run through what you're seeing in credit in general. You've been talking about the high yield ETF and what's gone on there and then the investment grade yield. What does this all mean? What are we thinking yeah. about treasuries? What are we thinking about corporates? Well, the move higher in yields made sense to me because I I never bought into that whole
0: bullshit thing that they were the Fed was trying to uh, get over on us about being transitory. I mean, whether they believed it or not, it's, it's not even the point. But so that's why I thought yields would go higher. So that proved to be true. Now, the reason why I think there's a chance the 10-year yields start to go lower is twofold. And I've said this a number of times on this show. I think at some point, you're going to start to see a flight to quality in the form of people buying treasuries, which means yields go lower. Along with that, to your point, a slowing economy, which we're clearly in or going to be in, would be suggestive that yields should go lower. So as much as the Fed thinks they control these things, they don't. And the problem is, and I actually just said it on our Fast Money call, If you think 10-year yields going lower in the environment that we find ourselves in is a good thing, think again. So yes, I do think 10-year yields can go lower, which means I think TLT goes higher. But I will tell you, and I think you may agree with this, those two-year yields and the five-year yields are going to stay stubbornly high. And you're going to start to see again this yield curve going inverted, which doesn't augur particularly well for anything. In terms of HYG, and this is something we've tried to talk to people about as well, and credit being sort of the thing you really have to watch. Credit has not been a problem yet. If credit starts to become a problem, which this suggests that it will be, this being the HYG, you got to really be careful here. Katie, bar the door, ding, ding, for you playing our home game. And you know we've been on top of this as well. We're not talking about this in a vacuum. You know We've been trying to point this out literally for months. So again, The last sort of leg of this thing is credit becomes a concern. That seemingly is happening right before our very eyes Dan. Yeah, and
1: and I guess when you look at those charts of investment grade and high yield, what sticks out to me, Guy, is that, yes, during this Swan event, which was the pandemic in the first quarter of 2020, you saw, you know, the worries of a credit crisis, you know, like that that was very evident in this chart. And what's been going on for the better part of this year is just kind of death by a thousand cuts. So there hasn't been a couple of headlines that have caused investors to think that there could be some potential risk in the credit markets, it's been, hey, things are not great. I mean, this is why you hear this all the time, that credit right leads the equity markets. And you've been pointing this out. It's not something that I generally might Have thought a whole heck of a lot, and, and I also have to mention, do you see the move in the dollar today? The Dixie, mm-hmm. the US dollar, getting kind of slammed, it's down more than one percent. You know, again, that's been a flight to quality for a whole host of reasons. Half of that is the euro, but to me, could you see a pullback to that uptrend? And that might be good for US corporate earnings, all right? You usually say this the oh. aforementioned, what do you call her? What do you call well, her? Can I do this because I yeah. have a whole yeah. setup for this? Oh, you, you do, know?
0: okay, yeah. Well, you know, and I'm sorry we're doing this so late, folks, but we can go over a few minutes. I mean, you know, nobody's counting. There's an old saying for you, Laverne and Shirley fans out there, Laverne, DeFazio, and Shirley Feeney. You can take the lady out of Milwaukee, Dan, but you can't take Milwaukee out of the lady. And why do I mention that today? Well, for the last two nights, the brewers of the aforementioned Milwaukee have been at Shea Stadium playing the Mets. Now, they didn't show up the night before for you Beatles fans out there. Great song, underrated song by the Beatles, but they showed up in spades last night now, I would attribute it to a tweet that I put out yesterday afternoon alerting the Brewers of Milwaukee that one EY from SoFi would be in attendance and they need to sort of pull their heads out of their collective asses and throttle the Mets. I think you liked that or said something to that effect. And lo and behold, EY, the Brewers of Milwaukee, led by one Willie Adamas, did exactly that.
2: They did. They did. Hi, guys. <laughs> I'm so excited to be here after a big Brewers win. It was really just one inning. It was like there were little victories along the way. and Then there was one inning that lasted forever, probably just absolutely killed the Mets spirit. We even got up and went and got ice cream. There were two outs and bases were loaded. And I said, you know what, I feel comfortable enough about our lead. Let's go get some ice cream. We came back and they were still, still on base. <laughs> I
0: think they sent 13 men to the plate that inning. But again, people didn't join to hear that. I just thought I would mention it. You it's heard important. Dan and I wax poetic for the last 14 minutes and 38 seconds. Before <laughs> we get into what you are brought with you today, speak to us about some of the things you just heard.
2: Well, you know, it's funny. I actually usually have a legal pad with me and a pen to write down what I've heard. I forgot the pen today. So shooting from the hip right now but here's what i will say i actually just tweeted about credit too you just talked about credit and how credit hadn't broken yet if you look instead of just comparing to you know high yield to investment grade if you look within investment grade the spread between single a and triple b has gotten really wide over the last even couple weeks. So it's starting to show up. There's little signals along the way that are starting to show up. And as we know, when credit breaks, it breaks hard, right? So if that starts to happen in the next few weeks or so, then I think we see a good bottom in the market. But you know, I have to say, I'm not surprised that we gave back what we had yesterday, all the optimism, or I'm not even sure what that was. I don't know if that was like dovish interpretation of the Fed. But all, everything that happened yesterday on the positive side, I'm not surprised we gave it back because it's not over. They didn't fix the problem. Now, I tend to think they did a pretty good job yesterday of messaging but they didn't fix it and we're not there yet. So I still think we have further to go. I agree with maybe somewhere in that 3,400, 3,500 range. I'm going to go closer to 3,500 because that would get us down to a correction of like 25, 30%. And that feels right before we know we're in a recession. If we find out we're in a recession, we're going across 30% and then we're somewhere between 30 and 40% down.
1: Yeah, I think that's important. I mean, the last couple of recessions, you know, the S&P 500 obviously in 2020 went down 35% from its highs, but back from its highs in 07 to its lows in 09 it was down 58% and then again if you go back to the dot com, you know, recession and bear market, you know, that was, you know, 51% in the S&P 500, but well more in the Nasdaq. It just doesn't feel like down 23% on the year given everything that we know what the Fed is doing, where inflation is, the geopolitical situation the state of the consumer you know some of the things we're seeing in credit it's just this the S&P 500 has more to go and a guy has mentioned this on many occasions i mean there will be great trading rallies there will be rallies that kind of shake you out right of saying that's it and i think you know again you're never going to hear us calling a bottom on this show we're going to talk about opportunities right And different risk assets that we think are overdone relatively to others. But one of the things, Liz, that I thought was really interesting was part of the conversation yesterday in that Fed presser was housing. You were tweeting about some Mm -hmm. of the housing data this morning. You know, again, the mortgage, 30-year mortgage rate where that's gone off of the lows, it's nearly doubled for all intents and purposes. All I do is hear from homeowners, oh man, I wish I had refinanced because mortgage rates aren't going lower anytime soon. And then affordability, you know, while it's likely to come back in a little bit, it's just not going to be the sort of situation where people are going to be able to trade out of their home because of the mortgage rates. What are you seeing in housing and how important is it when you think about wealth effect and with a stock market that's likely to be under pressure, you know, for the time being?
2: Well, the wealth effect hasn't quite been affected yet. With housing, because the prices haven't come down, right? We're still, and and home prices, it's such a lag that we get that data on. So it's not really representative of what's happening in the moment. But there hasn't been much of an effect yet because prices have not yet reflected that it is in fact slowing. But this is a good sign. I know that sounds strange, but it's good that it's rolling over. It's good that there's some, steam coming out because this was one of the last pieces that we needed to see in order to feel like, okay, inflation might not stay at 8% for the next six to 12 months, housing needed to roll over. And if you remember, I think this was a few market calls ago, we talked about inflation, and the components of inflation services being a larger component than goods now and being stickier and being a real problem. The actual component of housing that's represented in inflation falls in services. It's represented as rents, but it falls in that services category. So if we can get that piece to come down a little bit, it will help. The wealth effect piece is interesting because if you think about your net worth as a consumer, you would count your house in that. Well, if prices haven't come down yet, you're still counting a pretty high price in that. So hasn't yet affected that piece of it. I do think, though, as we get closer to the end of the year. Obviously, housing affordability is just going to continue coming down. I think we see more and more relaxation in all of those indicators. Hopefully, we also see relaxation in the commodities prices, which has increased all of this inflation, especially in housing, thinking about what you build a house with, right? Copper, lumber, all the different things. Not that I know anything about building a house, but... Hard work
0: as well. I mean, you know, little (laughs) what do they call that? Elbow Grease. I never really understood
2: wage wage inflation.
0: What else exactly? (laughs) What also has been relaxed is the chart of the XHB. Let's take a look at that because you know, Dan, that's seemingly sort of going a bit pear-shaped here. And we've talked about this for a number of times. Dan, you drew a great line once again, and you've been pointing this out that in this environment, there's no way in the world if you think home builders are going higher, you're out of your mind. You've been saying that for quite some time. Again. Typically, early is wrong. In this case, you
1: were spot on. But here we are, seemingly at levels where we should find support. Yeah, you know, it's interesting with this ETF that tracks home builders. There's also a bunch of other stuff in there, right? Like some building suppliers, that sort of thing. This takes us back, guys. You remember, I think it was late last year, early this year, where the CEO of Restoration Hardware made some commentary on one of their earnings calls that just really caught people off guard. And I think what's interesting, again, is that why do we bring these things up months after or whatever? It's like, you know, sometimes one-off data points, they can be kind of, you know, kind of dismissed away. But when you kind of think about, investing and you think about it as a bit of a mosaic you want to take inputs from a lot of different areas and there was some stuff going on i guess in the housing related retail market that just did not look particularly well also you know we talked about the banks kind of topping out you know they weren't telling us that lending was turning over a bit but some of the underlying data wasn't particularly great at the start of this year so i think there was just lots of hints to say that the weird supply demand dynamics that were created by the pandemic they were likely not only to correct themselves but overshoot to the downside the line that i drew on that xhb again that is round tripping the entire move from its pre-pandemic highs to feb 2020 and i just think we can't draw too many of those horizontal lines we've been doing it for months and months we also try to assign some valuation kind of metrics to why how we think we get there but again i think that data overshoots the downside before it gets better all right liz you know, you have a note out. You put it out every Thursday on the SoFi Investment blog here. You're talking about this meeting in particular. Are there a couple of things? I mean, we just obviously talked about housing a little bit. Are there a couple other takeaways that you think the listener or viewer should really kind of focus on again? Because, you know, the last 24 hours, I think most investors were downright confused, right? And, and the other yeah. thing I think is so fascinating, Liz, is that, you know, you've been watching the markets for a long time. You've been watching the Fed. We know that these events, they happen nine or 10 times a year. We know There's pressers, and we know that uh, kind of you know it's like this cottage industry of gaming, what they're going to say or not. But man, the way that they changed their tune from 50 to 75 just days before it tells you that they are as confused as everyone out there, people. So, if that makes you feel better,
2: yeah, well, okay, this is where this is where we're going to get into an argument. All three of us. (laughs) I actually think that that was a good thing. I think it was a good thing that they showed the ability to do that and the willingness to do that. Now, what they're confused about is why inflation hasn't started to cool off as we all were when we got that CPI print last Friday. But I think it was a good thing that they got that information and then said, you know what, we have to change course or we have to increase this. And I'm glad that they did it on, on such short notice. This is why when Jerome Powell was put in, it was about the idea that he wasn't a classically trained economist, that he was going to have a little bit more market exposure, he was going to understand more about the real world, we can argue all day about whether or not that's actually the case. But this I think yesterday, the message that we heard and that move being so quickly changed from what we expected as 50 turning into 75 was an indication that they are paying a little bit closer attention to the real world and to the consumer than maybe previous feds have. So I'm comforted by that. What I think was the problem yesterday was... Although they changed all their projections, they moved a lot of them to be a lot more realistic, which is a good thing. Some of the ones that I still find overly optimistic are the growth projections. So GDP, they brought down, but they didn't bring it down very far. All they said was it's gonna be slightly under 2% for the foreseeable future. And unemployment, they still kept under 4%. That's the piece, that's the last piece. And I know we've talked about this on Market Call. The labor market is the last piece that breaks before everything sort of falls apart right? So of course, unemployment is going to stay tight until that happens. I still think it probably goes up higher than that. We've already heard about layoffs in the tech sector, in crypto, in some of fintech. It's just going to continue moving through the rest of the market. So the labor market, I think, is going to loosen up a lot more than they think. And I think they're being a little bit optimistic about thinking they can do all of this without causing a recession.
0: I know it's Thursday these days because, you know, your note comes out. I mean, typically I would have to look at my calendar on the wall, but now I just know intuitively because I get the email. But I love your notes and I always love the titles and stuff and tick, tick, boom. I mean, I you know, I get a kick out of that <laughs> dynamite or kryptonite, which is just fantastic But speaking of crypto. But the one that really I get a kick out of is trimming the wick. And, you know, <laughs> my sense is there's some moils out there that know exactly what you speak of. But talk to me about that exactly, because that sort of sums this entire thing up.
2: Yeah, I mean, so the projections and the the point I had about that was the projections that the Fed had before were just so way off base. They, growth was too high. Unemployment was too low. Inflation was too low. So there were huge changes. Aside from the 50 to 75 basis point jump, there were huge changes in their projections, We trimmed the wick, we trimmed the expectations, we trimmed the idea that this is all going to be hunky-dory for the next six to 12 months, it's probably going to still be a problem. And I think we're starting to get more realistic about that expectation. The piece that they're never going to admit is that they might be okay with a recession. Of course, they're not going to purposely induce a recession, but I don't think that they see a recession as a bigger issue than they see inflation. So if we have a recession, if we're in one already, maybe they know that. I think it would be OK, and I don't think that's going to stop them.
0: You were one of the first people last year to talk about energy as just a sector you wanted to be in. And we have Dan did another wonderful job with the charts. You look at XLE here, and I think this is really, I mean, hope, I think one of the things they're hoping is, you know, as much as energy has worked against them, they're hoping that at some point it works for them. Well, it's not the mm-hmm. case necessarily in the commodity, but maybe it's starting to formulate or manifest itself in the equities. I have a view as to why this is happening. I'm sure Dan has some thoughts, but in terms of energy, I'm not looking to play stock market. But how important is this?
2: The rollover, you mean? Yeah, I think it's very important, and I think we talked about it last week. That, I, and I believe I said it's time to start taking profits in energy. Look, I'm okay with missing five percent more on the upside. The problem is that when energy falls off a cliff, much like credit, when it falls off a cliff, it falls hard and it falls fast and you're not going to catch it. So I think it's okay to be taking profits. If you haven't already, I would start doing that now because we are just one little news headline about Russia, Ukraine away from this falling even further. So the dependence on supply and demand and the fact that I think the risk in energy is only to the downside from here, I think it's time to make sure that you're not overly exposed.
1: You know, it's interesting if you just look at Exxon, the last time it was trading up at these levels is back in 2014 when we were also in or contemplating quantitative tightening a rate, you know, hiking cycle there. And, you know, the dollar had rallied at that point. We had rates Remember, was the temper tantrum or the taper tantrum was going on, that sort of thing. And I just think, you know, we've been talking about this group, Guy, you've had a great call on this and why you thought this was going to happen regardless of, let's say, the geopolitical situation that we have in Europe here, but you know what, man? You know, we had a strategist on Fast Money last week and Sully, who was filling in for Mel and he's a big energy guy, right? That's his beat or whatever. They were like you know, all geeked up that Exxon was back making new all-time highs. I'm like, dude, that's not bullish when you're anticipating, you know, like too much for, right? So I was with Liz last Thursday when we were talking about this a little bit. I mean, to me, this sets up as an epic, epic double top in Exxon. We had the XLE. We know that 50% of that is Chevron, Exxon, and EOG here. So to me, this is not, I don't think this is a time that you want to be chasing it. And to your point, Guy, you know, there was a day earlier in the week where the XLE was down down a lot. And crude oil was only down like 1%. Like the XLE was down 5 or 6%. Those are the sorts of like dispersion and disconnects that you want to kind of start to see in markets that'll kind of give you a sense of what's being discounted at that point. No question about it. So
0: I think we've been doing market call now for the better part, almost, I think, Dan, two years, if I'm not mistaken, or thereabouts. And, you know, I'm pretty good. What is, what is that animal that has the good memory you see uh, an should, elephant saying that it's i just have a memory i should actually elephant. know that in fact it is an elephant but i did <laughs> i'm just kidding around but i can say with absolute certainty that we've never mentioned samsung on market call so why are we mentioning it now well look at this samsung temporarily which is complete hogwash reduces procurement amid inventory pressure now all right we're not playing stock market with samsung but why is that important because slide it earl all you folks out there that are convinced, you know, you own, don't trade Apple. Well, guess what, Dan, Nathan? Look what's happening magically to the, the name we know to be Apple Computer. Turns out it does go down, doesn't it, Dan?
1: Yeah, no, it does. I mean, this one is approaching its 52-week lows. It's kind of shocking to think that it's down nearly 30% from its highs and still, guy, it's still above its 52-week lows. And I think what's important about the Samsung headline, and we've been talking a lot about this, is like not only are they obviously an original equipment manufacturer, but they're also a huge supplier, right, you know, of memory and, and a lot of different components that go into a lot of different pieces of hardware. But, you know, Apple is one of their largest competitors, or excuse me, clients, you know, like when you think about supply chains, that sort of thing. So again, if we're thinking about investing as a mosaic, you want to take in some of these inputs. Not doesn't matter that we haven't talked about it on Market Call, right? Like It's important that this is going on. And I guess the other thing I would just say is that if you're also of the mindset that some of these weird supply demand or the book to bill that we've seen in in areas like semiconductors, well, there's obviously a lot of double ordering too, right? So when you see these sorts of headlines, you have to think, oh, no, we might go from really tight supply to inventories. And one of the the things that stock market valuations don't like is a buildup of inventories. We're seeing that in retail stocks right now that literally have gone from 52 week highs in the tune of like Walmart to 52 week lows in a matter of months. And I guess, you know, these are some of the things you want to kind of figure out is it worth extrapolating to other parts of the market that have yet to get the memo.
0: We are channeling our inner Carter Worth with the next chart, which will show you exactly what I speak. The sort of peak to trough declines we have actually (laughs) seen in Apple over the years. Just for you, again, playing our home game. And Dan, obviously, as EY knows, the weird thing about the word weird is it's I before E except after C or when sounded like way is in neighbor and slay. And weird does not fit into any of those categories. Yes, the word weird is E before I. You know what it is, Dan? It's really weird. You know what else is sort of weird? Oh, man. <laughs> the price section in Adobe, which is a really important company, by the way. Let's take a look at this. This is right in your Ballywick. You've actually talked about this for a while as well. Well, talk to me about Adobe, Dan. Yeah,
1: so they report after the close, the implied move in the options market is about 7.5% either direction. This stock is down 35% on the year. It's down from its 52-week highs made in November, about 700 bucks. So again, it's been kind of cut in half here. And one of the things that I think is pretty shocking is that here's a stock that has a $173 billion market cap. It's had $173 billion of market cap lobbed off of it. It's a very profitable company, but it still trades at about... 10 times this year's sales. So do the math. This was a 300 plus billion dollar market cap company in November that was trading near 20 times sales with, you know, I don't know, low teens earnings and sales growth. And, you know, I mean, like we lost our minds. Right. And so here we are now. What's important to me, and I want to get Liz's take on the IGV, which is the ETF that tracks some of these, you know, software names, some of these SaaS names here is that the reaction to the results. Okay, here's the deal. You know, we've had Salesforce, we've had a Microsoft pre-announcement, we've heard from Workday and ServiceNow over the last few weeks or so. And all of those companies really hadn't kind of signaled that demand was falling off here. But to Liz's point, we're seeing all of these sorts of, you know, tech companies, crypto companies, FinTech companies laying off. Well, guess what software that they use? What, what What seats that they license from? All of these companies so that's when you're going to start to see the demand destruction happen and the first company and maybe it's adobe tonight that signals that is going to be the start of a healing process of just unusually high valuations liz talk to us a little bit about the igv and how you're thinking of the sector like this which a lot of great companies this investors were paying too much for them over the last couple years
2: Yeah. Well, you know what? It's not even just about the activity in the stock market. It's exactly what you just said. So think of it as a CFO. If you are one of those companies that was making money hand over fist because rates were so low and you were able to persist in that environment and valuations were so out of control, but it felt like this kind of permanent bull environment, you were probably spending more money than you normally would on things like software, on things like advertising, marketing, sales, you name it, right? So now that all of that is coming in, yes, there's a domino effect and there's a saying, I can't say it on this program, but stuff flows downstream. And we started it at the top of the stream. Now it's just going to continue to flow down. So it does have to bake through all of these different companies, all these different sectors. If we follow the way that the market fell apart, obviously we know tech and high valuation stocks started to fall apart last November. And then as we got through winter, we got early into this year, cyclicals broke down, right? Small caps never made it out of their mess. So if you watch that sort of sequence, we're gonna see companies suffer that way too. I do think still some of the biggest sectors to watch are consumer discretionary and industrials, because I don't think that they've corrected enough on an earnings basis but if we look at the tech sector and where can you re-enter it when would you re-enter it I think you're right Dan I think that if we get more of a pullback in this on some of these results in the second quarter that's when we can start to feel good about it but the problem is are we in a recession now or are we going to go into one in 2023? Right. We could have a little bounce in the second half of this year and you're going to feel really good about it. And then next year is when we find out that actually most of these companies can't quite make it through the full cycle. And then we go into a different type of recession, which would be driven more by consumer spending and credit problems.
0: To build on Elizabeth's point, one would hope that stream is flowing freely and quickly in order to get the things (laughs) that we won't talk about down it quickly. You don't want that stream to be stagnant, uh, mm. that causes a bit of a problem.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: With that said, when we first started talking about this guy, I'd have this big setup. I'd talk about John Butters, blah, blah, blah. Now this is all I have to say, Dan. Watch. Butters. And look what magically pops up. The earning insight from him. Now, what this says to me is people are still way too bullish. Wall Street is still on the wrong side of this. I don't necessarily know at this point if it's going to matter but it's worth
1: highlighting, Dan, that people are still a bit off sides. Yeah, I think it, the really important point, listen, John Butters, he gives us a preview of his earnings insight blog that drops from FactSet every Friday morning. So you can sign up for it at FactSet and get this to your inbox. But I love this because to me, you know, John tracks a lot of things that are important to me as an investor that really speak to the sort of sentiment in the market here. And he's talking about the unusually high level of buy ratings. And listen, we know that Wall Street analysts generally have a very high levels of buy ratings on stocks, but after we've had this sort of correction, not just in you know the SP that's down 23%, but we have a Nasdaq that's down 31% or so. And then there's tons of stocks that are down 50, 60, 70%. You know, if you think about, we just talked about Adobe, it's down 50% from its all-time highs. Well there's only a couple analysts that rate that stock a hold. There are none that have it to sell. So over 90% of the companies rate that stock of, or analysts rated to buy. So it's really important to see when you see that number start to decrease after the price has already come down. That's when you maybe see some sort of equilibrium where there's enough analysts or enough investors that are lining up that have sold the stock and then the analysts become bearish where the valuations come in line, the expectations become, you know, kind of low and easy to beat going forward. That's the sort of stuff I want to see. That's what Butter's saying. But obviously, in big tech, there's a you know unusually high percentage of buy ratings. Some of the biggest names, you know, Amazon, a company that's been cut in half, there's 56 buy ratings. There's only one hold and two sells, you know, per fact set. So really important to get your arms around this sort of stuff. But when you see a big high flyer that comes in and you see more holds and sells than buys, that's going to be when you want to start kicking the tires, in my opinion. Butters has done
0: extraordinary work for quite some time. Yeah. I'd like to think that us highlighting him here on Market Call has basically sent his star into ascension. <laughs> and the fact that we can just say Butters the same way people would say Cher or Madonna or Napoleon, <laughs> it puts him in sort of, as they say, Rarified air and now we talk about ey from sofi which is now just sort of I mean, it's out there and the entire world is talking about that which gives me great joy what gives me not so great joy is we have to say goodbye at this point because we've run approximately 10 minutes over that's on me people if you want to at me on twitter as dan would say have at it but that's today's market call Couple things. I look forward to the Brewers now building upon that win last night and throttling the aforementioned Mets once again. We'll see how that plays out. I'm sure EY is smiling ear to ear, as they say. But that's it for Market Call today. I want to thank our sponsors. Of course, I want to thank Faxet, the aforementioned SoFi, and of course, Open Exchange for powering us through For more great insight from the aforementioned Liz Young, follow her on Twitter. You're all doing it already. Tell a friend, tell a friend at Liz Young Strat and sign up for SoFi's daily newsletter at SoFi.com slash daily. And if you've enjoyed the show, if you think it sucked, if you think I'm A. Johnson, any of those things, (laughs) leave a message or like us on Twitter or leave a comment, do something. Get involved, people. This is interactive. (laughs) (laughs) We won't see you tomorrow. And I don't know if we're going to see you on Monday. We'll talk about that because Monday the market is closed for Juneteenth. We'll figure it out. But regardless, enjoy the rest of your day.